0: It's me. I know everything and I'm sober. <laughs> Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of All Is Well with Marina All Zaran. Well. And today we have a special guest. Who is she? Who is she? Who is she? I wonder if you can guess who my special guest is. Poppy, she paste. shares most of my jeans, and she is a she's the light of my life, y'all. Um, I share more than most of your jeans. <laughs> I share ninety-nine point what nine? Your children will be as genetically similar to my children as siblings. Let me formally introduce you. Okay. Everybody, welcome. I think I should formally Cassandra introduce myself. Cassandra Hello, everybody. I just oiled up my entire body in <laughs> coconut oil so I couldn't be more ready for this podcast. This podcast episode was supposed to start 30 minutes ago, but Cassandra insisted <laughs> that she had to do a full Abiyanga practice. Honestly, it's Let's the best way to get started. Hiked up on the kitchen table, it was perfect. Thanks, Marina, for lending me all your oil. So I'm so happy to be here. One, because this is going to feel like a conversation that Marina and I have probably 10 times a day on the phone already, but we're just doing it now with these super big puffy mics in front of us. (laughs) And it's really stuff that we talk about all the time and that we're really passionate about. And we're going to get into it and kind of just see our perspectives on this journey. Tell people about you a little bit. How would you describe yourself to someone who's never met you? Half woman, half (laughs) horse. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I've been super passionate about creative work my entire life, even since I was a little kid. Marty and I on the playground would find any way possible to do these little creative projects to honestly make money on the side. (laughs) Whether it was selling little crocheted purses that we made and took orders for to the point where we actually were so in demand that we had to pause our little middle school scheme to being student council president and co-president in middle school. My point is that I've always been drawn to creative, energetic, community types of things and people. I've always been drawn towards passionate people and creative outlets. That led me into an entire career in marketing where I've worked for a lot of really amazing bigger brands and smaller local brands, as well as managed bands because I love their music or helping my friends with their side hustles. And with that comes a lot of energy output. And I gave a ton of my energy into these places for over 10 years. And with that comes at a young age, not really being able to understand how to manage your own energy. And honestly, it took me a really long time to figure out that I wasn't pouring back into my own bucket and that over time I was actually putting myself at a deficit and I wasn't supporting myself. And that can look like a lot of different things. For me, what this looked like was hustling so hard on the side with internships, managing bands and a ton of creative work, but also working in the service industry. So working super late nights, going to dance parties or parties or hosting like one of the coolest house venue spots that brought a lot of out-of-town bands through. So we were constantly energized and doing something, and I wasn't sleeping a ton, and I was drinking a lot, and I was giving a ton of myself to these incredible people from age, what, 20 to 26? nonstop. seriously non-stop. And I kind of felt this voice, mostly in my body first, instead of my thinking mind, kind of tell me to slow down a little bit. Let's talk about that. What your body was telling you. I often like to say that the body speaks in whispers and then when it's not listened to, it starts to get a little bit louder and then it starts to yell and plead for help. And when the body speaks in whispers, it takes a skilled ear to pick up on the imbalances that are happening because at first they can start to be a whisper that you might not commonly associate with an imbalance like just intrusive thoughts or negative mindset. Maybe it starts in the ego instead of the physical body. Or maybe the whispers in the body are like just indigestion or a little bit of acne here and there. And then when the whispers go unlistened to or the imbalances go untreated, they start to move down the scale of severity and they start to look more like severe mental health issues, physical ailments, chronic pain, so on and so forth. And then we get to the end of our freaking 20s and we realize we spent 10 years of our life and we haven't honed in the ability of what it looks like to take care of the physical body, the mind, and the spirit. So... Unbelievably well said. And I think what a lot of people have a hard time with coming towards their late 20s and into their 30s is you either have this idea that, oh God, woe is me, I fucked up. I feel so unwell. I have to own up to it. Or I'm fine. It wasn't that bad. I think I'm doing okay. It's either sort of that one or the other, this like black and white mentality of your own perspective of how basically you spent your 20s. And what I feel is not that at all. I think that you can have a ton of different perspectives about the way that you have felt over time there were times, years, six months, chunks of time where I felt incredible and I produced like amazing creative work. But like you said, I was also maybe dehydrated and that doesn't make me a huge fuck up and that doesn't make me regret any of the time that I spent. It just makes me listen in a way that's creating more space for all of those different narratives to kind of show up. I think we find ourselves at this point saying, I don't have a problem, it's okay, I'm okay, and I'm not really interested in having that conversation with myself. It's more so trying out new ways to integrate how I spent my 20s into my late 20s and 30s without having to pathologize everything. Yes, I drank a lot, yes, I partied a lot, yes, I did a lot of incredible fucking iconic things in my 20s. And that can just be that. And I can also move into a sober year, not because I have a fucking problem, but because I'm really curious to see what my skin, what my sleep, what my relationships, how I'll spend my time will look like. I literally couldn't have said it any better myself. Instead of adding a value judgment associated to what you were doing or how you were thinking or what brought you joy at a certain time in your life, it's just reassessing if it brings you joy now. Totally. And let me tell you something, Marina. It does bring me joy. Hanging out with my closest friends with some wine and just winding down and having a good time talking about shit that I love. I fucking love it. But I'm also recognizing that we have these bodies that are also trying to tell us these things that I'm just so interested in listening right now than keeping the same you know I say because I love this phrase if you give what you always gave you'll get what you always got Mm. and it doesn't have to be me turning over my world it can just be me experimenting with something that I am giving we should talk about what we're talking about let's give you some context to all of this okay sober year baby Sober year. It's a sober year. Okay, Why? let's talk about it. Okay. I've had this thought about basically a fully sober year for a while even a couple years ago, without the intention of actually putting it into practice, i just thought about it. I thought it was intriguing and really interesting. And a couple years later passed, and instead of having to sort of strenuously, consciously overthink this idea of 365 days of sobriety, it more so kind of approached me and welcomed me into this interesting challenge. It's kind of like saying, oh, I'm gonna meditate six out of seven days a week for a year, or I'm gonna go to yoga, or I'm gonna cut out gluten. This to me was a very similar sort of thought, like, hey, fuck it, let's see what 365 days without any substances looks like in my social life, for my skin, for my elimination, for my creativity. So it was less of this obsessive attempt at becoming something or being a part of something that I'm not, and more so just a curious challenge. I feel the same way. I have done a lot of challenges in my life that have looked physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, but rarely have I taken out true comforts in my life. And here's the thing. I really love drinking and I really love smoking. And I do both mm. of those things mm-hmm. when I'm very happy and I'm surrounded by my friends. And it's associated with some of the best times in my life. I also use it as I use it as a tool to fucking relax. You know? Same. And over time, it has become a companion to me. But as I get older, I'm noticing that the benefits are waning and the complexity of my relationship to substances is becoming more complex and I'm looking to challenge that. I don't think I've ever put myself up to a challenge this difficult in my entire life and I have done everything from like kitchity cleanses to long stints of seated meditation to physical feats but this by far will be the most difficult thing I've ever had to do because it makes me sit down and actually reassess and or keep myself from a joyful experience because I know it's going to better me in the long run. Totally. There's two things I want to say about that. It's just so good what you said, because the first place that my brain goes to is, well, I read Quit Like a Woman a couple years ago, which is just a phenomenal book about a woman's approach to removing cigarettes and alcohol from her life. It's so fucking good. It's told from her perspective. And I mean, it takes her, I think, five years to get to that point of her changing her relationship with alcohol and sort of doing a ton of research and how it's so inundated in our culture and in our social lives and in our expectation to participate in society. So you had said this challenge, this is challenging for you for a reason because it's comfortable and it brings you joy. Heard on that, sis. It brings me joy, too, because we're typically in these beautiful scenarios with our best fucking friends enjoying the lush parts of life that we love, which is food and then tobacco or, you know, whatever it is. And we're so comfortable and safe in those moments that we enjoy it. But this is my second point about why I'm literally so amped for this year of sobriety is because if we don't continue to present ourselves with new challenges, we're going to lose that strength and that access to that muscle, whether or not it's taking that cold shower for 30 seconds extra because you don't want to do it 10 times more that day shout out ian or whether you're going to challenge yourself to gossip less or not gossip at all this is the same exercise you and i mean we just happen to be if you would say dramatic about the ways that we take on challenges in our life in a way that's challenging in a way that's really exciting for us and the beautiful part about it is we have each other So we talk about this stuff. And when you have somebody to talk to about these new challenges that you're bringing into your life, it provides a bout of community and energy that reminds you of why you're even doing it. And why I'm doing this is to create more space and to see what change organically comes with this challenge. That's what is motivating me to just see what happens in this year. It's less about no alcohol, no cigarettes. It's less about me calling myself sober for a year. If anything, I don't even need anybody to fucking know. It's more so about seeing how the space brings in newness. Mm, I love that. I always say that there is something to be said about individuals who put themselves in situations to do something that they really don't want to do for the betterment of their future self. Because it's very difficult, also very isolating, potentially lonely, putting yourself in challenging positions that are in pursuit of the betterment of yourself, because oftentimes the expectations that come with becoming a better person mean that the reflections of the people around you might be perceived differently, both for yourself and both for the circles around you. And so there is a a feeling of missing out on experiences or losing friends or not being invited to things anymore that I think happen in partnership with adapting or removing certain lifestyle practices from your life. And I think this is one of them. I do fear about what it means to cut out drinking is to cut out like high highs and low lows. And I really love high highs. I like ride on high highs almost a little bit too much. I think that I can often enjoy the sympathetic and I ride the sympathetic hard. I actually really enjoy being unsympathetic. If you can relate to me, you are likely somebody who enjoys pressure, who can rise to the challenge, who likes to be put on the spot and likes to prove and overcome adversity. Totally. If you're like that, you probably like high highs. You're probably someone who enjoys adrenaline or crazy adventures. And some of my most fun nights are getting silly with my friends, you know? But as much as a part of me yearns for that nostalgia a greater part of me knows that it's time for my challenges to look a little bit different and here's the thing I want to have kids in maybe two years how powerful and amazing will it be for me to put my body in physical peak condition a year before I even start trying to have kids and that's really where my mind goes But then the other part of my brain chimes in. I was talking about this with Justin last night. So I am not going to partake in a vice that I absolutely love for a year before I try to conceive. And then while I'm conceiving, I won't be partaking in any of my vices. And then while I'm pregnant, I won't be partaking in any of my vices. And then when I'm breastfeeding. So do I just like, does this mean this is it for me? You know, and it makes me fearful. And some of you are probably listening and thinking you guys are putting way too much pressure on yourselves. You know, like you don't have to cut out booze for the rest of your life, but the fear that's instilled in me of thinking, what if I had to cut out booze for the rest of my life? I want my reaction to be like, I- I'll be just fine. I don't want to spiral into a fear, you know, and that's when I know that my relationship with drinking needs to change. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that I want to be able to take or leave is my soul and my spirit. The rest is going to, should be able to come and go. That's like if someone told me you can't eat gluten for the rest of your life. Honestly, that scares me significantly less than cutting out my vices and having a good time when some of my girlfriends come over and we just get a little lit. I just, I love those moments so much. And so I have to figure that out. I don't have the answers. Son and I are going to be podcasting once a month about our journey and our experiences of the highs and the lows, processing a little bit here, and I'm not sure exactly what's going to be uncovered or what's going to float to the surface, but these are some of my initial fears and responses and knee-jerk reactions to being sober for a couple weeks now. So I also have very similar apprehensions and I don't know if I would necessarily call them fears, but I very much recognize that a lot of people in my life are like, Jesus Christ, Cass, eat the pizza, drink the beer, go out, have fun. You're in your twenties. This is your time to be alive. And I get that. Like I fully get that because I think that's the advice that I would give to somebody who enjoys socializing and being in community, going out. But What I will say is that I've been communicating and searching for different ways to access those parts of me for a minute that haven't involved alcohol, smoking, going out, staying up late at night for a second. And what really feels so good about leaning into this new way lifestyle that I'm spending my time are the people that are in my life that are encouraging and excited about those new ways to spend time with me. And to be fully honest, Neen, it's kind of rare. It's kind of few and far in between, which then makes me think, hold up, there's something wrong with me. I'm not the fun one anymore, and I'm not going to be invited to shit, which then makes me feel like, shit, am I lame? Or am I missing out on my 28th, 29th year of my life because I'm doing this? I'm oscillating between this stoked empowerment and this FOMO. By the way, I don't really get FOMO. I really don't. But when it comes to like not going to the dance party or not having the girls over for nails and then having a good time. Yeah, I have bankrolled some FOMO and I'm working with that. And like you said, we're just going to have to kind of see what our relationship looks like with that attachment over time. I think there's a fine line between where you are and where you want to go. And in order to cross that fine line at some point, if you can frequently assess where you are versus where you want to be, and you make small adjustments in order to get where you want to be, right? But over time, that next step becomes more and more difficult. And the step and the challenge that you need to take needs to be greater. And I feel like you and I are ready in our lives for something that's going to change the format in which we grow and blossom from. I think that people have seen the same flower and they've seen it grow and blossom season by season and we're about to change shit up because we are actually really ready to level up in our lives and I think that what we are expressing is a nostalgia for what we were and there is a shedding that's going to have to take place and that requires unadulterated bravery and so much fucking faith that we actually believe that we're not even close to the people that we are yet to be that we haven't even come close to the peak of our existence. So many people refer to their 20s as like this prime time of where going out and raging were the best of their days, but I frankly believe that our best is yet to come. I like the way that you had talked about it originally where we don't need to put a value add on every stage of our life, but I will say that the stage in my life that I'm currently entering my 30s, I'm in my Saturn return currently. It's calling for something new, and that newness just looks completely different than what I've been serving to myself for the past 10 years. So it's gonna feel weird, and it's gonna feel like I'm wearing in a new pair of leather shoes. It's gonna take time for the neuroplasticity to set in, for my brain to rewire itself even. Sondra and I were talking about what did we wanted to do for our birthday. And we were talking about wanting to go to this place that we love to go. And I said, why? So we can just be triggered to drink and smoke all night. <laughs> like that's exactly what's going to happen if we go there. Like I told her, I think I need like six months before I can go there because I don't know if I'm strong enough. Yo, hold up. You had said something about the fact like these small micro movements help you kind of move into where you want to be. And in Ayurveda, it's called Dinacharya. Mm, dinacharya, never, never that. underestimate the impact of small steps let's get time. tats we should get some tats that's a dinacharya it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyways also those can look really really small by the way and those look different for everybody But you were talking about how those small micro-movements are going to bring us into this place of like who we want to be. And I get that. That can seem really heady and kind of obnoxious of always aspiring to be something that you're not. But what I feel in regard to that is we don't even know who we are to some degree in our 20s. We are experimenting. We are stimulated. We are figuring it out. We are meeting so many people. We are taking in so much information. We are going from phase to phase and absorbing and assimilating. And understanding and trying and trying and trying. And I think that what I'm realizing at 29 or 28, about to be 29, this Saturn return is like, okay, we've put in all that work the past 10 years. We've taken it all in. I don't need to be working so hard anymore to try and figure out who this person is on the inside. I think we need to reduce, reuse, Rihanna, recycle, and kind of see what's already in there and then actually pick out the parts that feel really fucking right. And the way that I can do that, the way that I've found my ability to do that is one, through dancing. And two, through reducing and removing noise. And drinking and tobacco and parties, thats it's noisy. And It doesn't mean I don't love it. But it's bringing in a, a lot of noise into my life. So by calming all of that down, settling the water, I'm priming an environment for the Cassie Loch Ness monster, whoever she may be, mermaid, I don't know, creature, to kind of slowly rise up and out when she's ready. I'm not pushing anybody out, but I'm just kind of creating some more space for it. I think that's really beautiful. I think that's really beautiful. So much of our 20s is like an act of violence against ourselves, trying to be other people, trying to fit ourselves into certain boxes. And there's not a whole much of internal listening that's done. There's a lot of taking in your external environment so you can bring in as much information to the mind. But quite literally, the definition of wisdom is to use the experiences from your past to inform your future decisions and now we are at a stage where we no longer need to bank on our experiences we can actually just use the experiences that we've collected to inform our future decisions we are now calling in wisdom you know where I think that in your 20s exploration curiosity even intuition guides you to play to be playful and I still want to bring so much of that into my 30s but I want to be able to serve myself in a way that I've constantly looked outward for other people or other things or other experiences to fill whether it's my feelings of companionship or loyalty or intelligence or creativity those aspects that I've always wanted to feel fulfilled within me I'm no longer reaching externally for them it kind of reminds me of how we make certain micronutrients in our body and how we require certain micronutrients to come from our food source. For example, we're one of the only animals that does not create vitamin C inside of our internal body. We have to obtain it outwardly. So I'm mindful that bell peppers and oranges are a fantastic way for me to bring in vitamin C. If I know that information, I can apply it a little bit more intentionally into my life. Whereas some other nutrients inside of the body can be created on a regular basis. All of this goes to say is that I'm using information about my past. I know that I have a tendency to desire independence and travel and that needs to be fed in a certain way Whereas my desire to feel a part of community needs to be fed a different way. And now I can move forward knowing that I don't have to overstep or overcompensate or fake it till I make it anymore. I know these things about myself. And so I'm excited to create more me time. Yeah. Bless up. The fake it till you make it thing just hit me hard. I think that if I'm fast forward, you know, deathbed, right? I'm on it. (laughs) And it's happening. (laughs) And if I were to think about, you know, truly what is the thing that's going to make me feel sick to my stomach about looking back at my life, it would be the thought of just like participating in society in a way because I thought I had to. Just buying the things and making the money and, and participating just because it felt like it was what I was supposed to do. And how are you ever supposed to fully understand the way that your body works, the capabilities of your mind, what excites you, what truly love means to you if you don't actually create a path that you're building for yourself it's so easy to get sucked in and I think that what hit me the hardest and the fastest so when I started working for myself that was a whole ass journey of recognizing you know valuing myself whether it was in my business or self as Cassandra's around a person or as a friend or as the yoga student or whatever it have may be it completely flipped the word in my perspective of value up on its ass. And I felt like I was relearning what it meant for me to value a paycheck, a working life, really a, the living conditions that I wanted. Pretty fucking epic. I I'm think, like a completely different person now. That thank sounds Thank God weird. for that. Thank God for that. You want to be a, I hope to God I'm a completely different person than I was three years ago, six years ago, 10 years ago. We're evolving. I don't want to be stuck in time. I want to continue to allow myself to evolve. I believe that we are... Constantly told what our felt experience should be—not actually just our felt somatic experience—but we are constantly told what our internalized monologue should be, and we're told that from everybody. We are told that from our parents: "No, honey, don't cry. Boys don't cry," or whatever that conversation and dialogue is. We are told from our friends: "Dump him. Fuck him. Move on." We are told from our doctors: "Something is wrong with your body, and you have to take this pill in order to get control over it." We're told from brands. If you want to be happy, look cool, feel sexy, you have to put this on, smell like this, go to this place. But at what point are we sitting with ourselves and listening to what's happening internally? Naval Ravikant, he is philosopher. He's an angel investor. He is a huge inspiration to me. And he says, I believe most of man's problems could be absolved if we were to sit in a room in silence with ourselves 30 minutes a day and I couldn't agree more. I talk to my friends all the time about silent retreats and most of them have the same reaction. I could never do that. And my response is always, well, why? Why couldn't you do that? And usually it's under the guise of, I can't stop thinking, I have too much on my mind. Well, allow your thoughts to process through your mind and maybe we are living and curating a world that is dominated by our thoughts, which means that we are dominated by the ego and we've dulled the senses of the soul and of the body let me tell you something the nervous system it precedes the thinking mind by 400 million years yes 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 400 million years, and you're telling me that your thoughts are what govern your behaviors, your actions, your ability to connect with people? Not even close. What if we were to tune into the nervous system and allow for it to inform whether or not we feel safe in a situation? And then you allow that to inform your thinking. So it's a lot of reverse engineering that needs to happen, and that's why I like to do a silent retreat every single year. And now I'm starting to do them by myself, where I don't necessarily even go to a center to do them. And you turn off all the noise, just like you were saying, Cassandra. Cassandra was saying, I realized I had quite, I have so much noise coming into my life. I realized that I was addicted to having TV shows on in the background every waking moment in my life. And I did that from the time I was 16 to 26. I always had Sex and the City or Gilmore Girls or whatever it was, just playing constantly in the background until I did my silent retreat last year. I did it in my own home where I realized realized oh my gosh i forgot what silence sounds like And now, after coming out of that silent retreat experience, I stopped playing music in my car a lot of the times. I would let myself have a silent car ride experience. And it allowed integration into my meditation practice. It made my meditation practice a whole lot easier because it wasn't like you're trying to stuff a 12-piece orchestra out of your house all of a sudden. It was like, no, I've, I've tapped into moments of silence throughout the day. So when I go into an intentional silent practice like meditation, I'm ready to fully engulf myself in the experience. And so life looks a lot different for me with silence. And I still have a long way to go with noise, but it's changed dramatically. So Marina and I have a very different history of our wellness journeys. Marina has been on it for 10 years now from when she started taking every certification possible at 18, 19, 19. And I really started going dick deep, probably. Did you say dick deep? Yeah. Should I say something else? (laughs) I just, I wasn't sure if you said dig deep or dick deep kids, cover your ears, (laughs) dick deep, June of last year. So that's about nine months, right? Something like that. And so we're talking, you know, the people that listen to Marina and her story being like, just encourage yourself to have 30 minutes of silence or, you know, bring that into your meditation practice every day. When she used to tell me those things, people, I... Couldn't have it. I couldn't hear it. I wanted her to stop talking as soon as she started, honestly. And Marina, I love you. You're brilliant. It took me eight years to really think about everything that you've told me in regards to bringing in silence or bringing in movement or truly just yoga. And for me, it just hit in my 28th year of life. But I feel like everything that I've told you in the past, you subconsciously stored for when you're ready for it because you pull out shit that I'm very impressed. Which is my point, Marina. I talk to a lot of my friends about waking up early, taking these cold showers, bringing meditations into our lives, trying to have better self-internalized thinking or perspectives of ourselves. It's really difficult work, but it's the most rewarding because it's you showing up for yourself, right? The reason why I'm saying this is because I had a hard time hearing Marina talk about her wellness journey even two years ago, thinking like, I'm fine. I'm well, I like me. What more do you want? And it's ultimately because I wasn't quite ready to believe in myself, but I was doing these small little things here and there every day, showing up for myself just to put my face in the sun or put bone broth in the soup or whatever. And I think it's important for people to know if you you care to listen within, it will continue to show up for you and just trust that more and more ways will come. Me going to yoga, I can't miss yoga anymore. I have to go seven days a week, essentially. These cold showers give me life. I'm literally meditating pretty much every day for 30 minutes and pranayama and all that shit. That took me years without even me realizing it to get to this practice. And now I kind of don't know who I am without it. I think you hit the nail on the head. Basically, what I understood for you to say is that wellness isn't something that only comes to people that are have done years of studying. It, it's actually there for everybody because the wisdom is already inside of you, despite whether you know what breathing counts to do or what bone broth is or how to incorporate a multivitamin into your life. What we are trying to say, that is if you pause just long enough to listen to your, that. your wisdom and your intuition, the information will come. Now, 10,000 years ago, the Rishis, the rebels, these, these guys were rebels, the individuals that created the yoga practice, yoga in all of its forms. They would go out to the woods and after they would do a vigorous yoga practice, they would sit in meditation and they would just wait for shit to come to their mind. And they'd be like, oh we have 72,000 naughties They just had all this brilliant, wise information just flutter to the surface of their minds with having no preconceived knowledge of doing so. It's actually very interesting. And I want to dive so much deeper into that. Same within the, the text of Ayurveda. It's like, how the fuck did you actually know all of this? But all of this goes to say, whether you think that is batshit crazy and woo-woo or not, you can be anywhere on the spectrum. But the point is, is that There's something for everybody that your soul, your spirit, your ego, your body, it will communicate with you at any given point in time on any day. Dude, you nailed it. Wellness is listening. Wellness is listening. If you can do that, if you can start there, you will surprise yourself how much you want to continue to show up for yourself. Maybe you listen to the fact that your sleep is so not there for you. It's not working, you're, you're waking up and you feel worse, and it's been like this for a while. Listen to that, maybe. Don't make any drastic changes quite yet, but listen. There's this question that my friend Danielle likes to ask. There are two questions, and we talked about it in the Polyvagal Theory episode, which is the one just right before this episode. It's amazing, listen. It's all about the nervous system. and she said, when she is feeling dysregulated she asks herself what do i need and how did i get here so you can always ask yourself in a moment of distress What do I need? Okay, I need to sit down and take a deep breath. I'm at a crowded bar and right now I just need to sit down and take a deep breath. And how did I get here? I may have not listened to cues or internal wisdoms that presented themselves and that's okay. Always presenting both of them with boundless grace, with unconditional love and compassion for yourself. When you ask the questions, what do I need and how do I get here? Instead of answering, how did I get here? Like, I'm a piece of shit. That's how I got here. No, just understanding the step you took in order for you to be in this position is really great information for you to have so that you can take the next step and maybe you're making a u-turn maybe you're turning it around or maybe you're just taking a smaller step in the direction that you're already going it can look very different for all types of people and you are your best guide. There is no one out there that knows you better than you. And that's why I get weird nowadays about going to public yoga classes. I've been in so many yoga classes in my city where the teacher carries this guise of a guru mentality, which I have serious issues with, I find to be very problematic, in which they act like they hold the key to your wellness. They hold the key to what can unlock your suffering. I am telling you out that is absolute bullshit. Nobody has the key to your suffering. The people that are really trying to help you or guide you in your spiritual journey or your physical journey, maybe you experience chronic pain, maybe you're anxious or highly depressed, the people that really want to help you are redirecting you back to you. Heard. And also, even if your experience isn't exactly what you think it's going to be, show up for yourself. You know what, I, what I'm what i saying? Show up for yourself and remind yourself that that's the best that you can do. That's what you can control. And at the end of the day, what's better than that? You taking care of you, taking care of the organism. So let me tell you, not every yoga class I go to, I have an experience where I'm like, Oh my God, thank God I came here. I have no idea what to do, you know, for my own body. So thank God somebody's telling me what to do. It's not like that. I'm showing up because it's part of a greater, these this greater journey that I'm taking, you know? Yeah, sometimes people will will operate under the impression that somebody's going to save sh- them. No, no, that's not where I was going. Sometimes people operate under, and I mean practitioners, will operate under the impression that if you show up, you need to give it 100%. I call BS on that too. Totally. Sometimes showing up is the hardest fucking part. And when you go up to someone, you say, I need more from you. Inside, they're thinking, bitch, I getting here took just about everything I have. And that's why meeting people where they're at is the greatest gift you can ever give anybody in your life. And so when I want to share and scream from the rooftops my love for wellness, instead of berating my friends and family, I just started a podcast so I could talk to myself about it instead of just constantly ad nausea. I'm talking about the same six things that I love. And now I offer experiences where people can opt in for it because it's so important for you to not virtue signal wellness over other people. You are not better than anybody else. You proverbial, you, the editorial, you, Mm -hmm. I am not better than anybody else because I know what supplements to take when I don't feel good. I'm not better than anybody else because I meditate. And it's so important for all of us to remember that. We all are on a path. We are all on a journey, a path forward, backwards, whatever direction. We're all on one. And the moment we can humanize each other and look into each other's eyes and understand we're all working through something is the moment we can connect, open up the doors for communication, conversation, and people are more willing to try and be curious when they feel safe, you know? Totally what's a piece of information you would give to somebody that would think wellness isn't for me. I have no interest in incorporating it into my life. Why aren't you on your own team, bro? Why aren't you on your own team? Wellness means that you put yourself at the top of the priority pyramid. And listen, for a lady that has a very difficult time setting boundaries, this has been a hard thing for me to work on, okay? But what I can tell you is that the sooner that you just start to work on that, bit by bit, five years will pass no matter what. My mom says time passes no matter what. It's what you do with it that's going to show you. The word wellness can mean whatever you want it to mean to you. Semantics or not, it's going to be your relationship with yourself is what wellness is. And the second we stop fighting or like Marina said, having this sort of antagonistic, exhausting, tiresome, never ending perspective on bettering ourselves it's is the moment that we're not on our own team so what we can do here and what I tell myself every morning is how can we try to enjoy this a little bit more because we all deserve that yeah when you're enjoying life having fun not only is it what is the antidote to an upregulated sympathetic nervous system play but it also puts you in the high vibe and if anybody out there listens to Abraham Hicks you know that if you play or have fun that's how you lock into that high vibe that that play Pleasure also directly relates to telomere health. It actively is contributing to your long-term health for things like Alzheimer's and neurodegenerative diseases that we often see coming into our lives in our late 60s. Pleasure, seeking joy, community based out of things that aren't rooted in substance. Those are those long-standing effective ways to build joy in your body. Yeah, Cassandra and I cut out caffeine about six months, not even, four months ago. And I guess the reason why I did it, we tend to arrive to some fun challenges at the same time. We'll both just be ready at the same time. And that's not always how it goes, but it's fun when it's a challenge and we both can stick to it together. But we reduced caffeine because I wanted to know what it would be like to remove a variable that I have been consistently adding to my life every single day. It doesn't need to be there. I'm just consistently inputting the caffeine constituent into my body. And for over 10 years, I haven't stopped to ask myself if there is a positive and or negative effect associated with in taking caffeine regularly and drinking it till three o'clock every day, which is what I do. And so it's good to ask yourself, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Totally. And let the record show, Maddie and I love bean water. We love coffee so much. I truly think that it's a part of the flowing liquid in our bodies. But what we ended up doing was not taking away that pleasure of bitter hot juice. We just, you know, substituted it with decaffeinated and day dandy blend, dandy blend and, 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 and matcha and all that fun shit. So, you know, we didn't remove that thing that brings us so much joy in our morning routine. We just considered the fact that we are consuming ass tons of caffeine every day for the past 10 years. Yeah, we're very careful about removing things that bring us joy. Cassandra and I, our happy place is our bed. We love sleep and we love being in bed. And that's kind of one of our non-negotiables is if we feel like we need to sleep in an extra hour, we do it. And we feel like it's an act of service and an act of love in order to do that for ourselves we're not like stripping ourselves away from all the things that bring us joy we're just looking at our substance use yo we're not robots marina i have had guys i've had this goal to hit sunrises five out of seven days of the week and lol that was three months ago wasn't even hitting one sunrise out of the week so i was like all right come on cast monday wednesday friday let's just hit three out of the week still am not hitting them the reason why i want to hit sunrises is because my mind is quiet my body's this wonderfully vulnerable place and i can hit my pranayama and meditation in a way that i think is going to be really new and beneficial for me guess what it's been months and months and months and i have still not gotten out of bed. I'm coming to terms with the fact that getting out of my bed before the sun rises, are you kidding me? But also recognizing that there's something in my brain that wants to experience a morning a little bit differently. Hey, I haven't quite done it yet and physically gotten out of the bed, but I know and trust that over time, I'm gonna be waking up earlier to achieve this goal, but I'm not forcing myself to do it, but I'm welcoming the fact that I wanna experience a bit of change. That's been the dialogue for the last 10 years. I used to get up at 5 a.m. every day. I used to do my Abhyanga, my meditation, my Pranayama. When I worked at the yoga studio, I worked 5 a.m. shifts. I mean, I was just like the queen of the mornings. And then after COVID, I I just feel differently about it now. I think that now because I offer so much energetically to my life on a daily basis, moment by moment of each day, I require a hard reset. I need nine hours of sleep every single night. Every night. Literally every night. Yeah, and I don't feel bad about it. I go to bed smiling. If I if I know I'm about to get nine or even ten, I'm like a little fucking kid being like, let's go to bed. I love it. And everyone's different, you know? So what was the whole point of this podcast today, this episode? I don't know. I think it's pretty fucking cool to talk about doing something for a year that pretty much everybody around you does and talking about it. Maybe also it could be inspiring for somebody to do something for Three weeks, six months, a year that they've been having an inner dialogue about for a long time. And you and I are kind of these super amped, nutty, creative, just I think we're fun people. And I'm interested personally in the cool shit and the cool convos and what's going to come from a year on this sober journey. Also, Nina and I were saying we're going to bag a year of sobriety before 30. And I'm like, can I get it any hotter? Let's see. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, we're doing all these fun experiments together. And we are actually relaunching Stardust Standard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm in a couple months we're working on it and Cassandra's going to be officially the co-owner of Startup Standard big news guys big fucking news I don't know what that means for this podcast we don't know but we are going to let it flourish in ways that feels completely organic but we're going to start to explore different wellness fads or experiences together and then we are going to create an episode about it and we're going to vlog about it and it's probably going to be really hilarious and I can't wait some ideas we have are to do like a 10 day vipassana which is a 10 day silent seated meditation meditation where you meditate for 10 hours a day. <laughs> Going to like naked yoga, things like that, which we are just shooting the shit about. And the reason why I'm so amped about this, Marina and I taking on this, telling some stories together and experiences is because we truly do speak to different sets of people. We are so similar in our route, but we also have different perspectives and different approaches and runways to our journey and experience with wellness. And I'm really amped to see how Marina's perspective relates and encourages or you know maybe frustrates some people and how mine relates encourages or frustrates to people and I think the most important part of it is that we just want wellness to be accessible and understood and demystified even in a way that makes you feel empowered that allows you to be the captain of your own health and wellness mm, you love know? a cheesy metaphor <laughs> me it <that> was perfect <laughs> yeah so stay tuned for all the goodness that's about to be it's going to be an abundant year we're going to step into 29 we turn 29 in a couple weeks and this year is going to be wild for both of us sure is all right we'll leave you at that love you guys bye bye